God, thank you so much for the space where we can kind of cut out all the distractions and all the noise and so many voices in our lives just trying to stack up expectations on us or judgments. And we don't need those voices. What we need is your voice. So I pray that you would just speak to our hearts this morning, that you'd move in them, that we would see a bigger picture of you, a clearer picture of you, because we know that's what changes everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome again, same you, new field, and maybe you hear that and you're all excited. I don't know, maybe it's a little confusing to you, and that's okay. We're going to jump into a passage in Jeremiah chapter 32, and uh, before I read this, if you want to flip there, um, we'll also spend a little bit of time in Isaiah. You know, all of God's word is useful. It teaches us that in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It's not just what I say or my opinion. It's all useful, and we don't get to like throw out uh, parts we don't like and um, keep, just keep the parts that we feel safe with or comfortable with or make us smile or giddy, right? That's not how this whole thing works. What we're doing is we're saying we're not the answer to our problems. We need to hear God and his voice in our lives. And I'm also really tired of people saying like passages that we're gonna, I don't wanna read too, myself too much into the story in Jeremiah. That was for the Israelites and that's a bunch of garbage too. Like this whole book is revealing of God's character. This whole book is useful for us, for our correction, for our training, for our encouragement. This whole book is, yes, so, so this passage we're talking to was sure, surely written and given as a gift to um, the Israelites, but it's also included in Scripture for us to see how what we can learn about God and what we can learn about his character and what we can learn about what he says about us and life and his design for the world and how he calls his children everywhere to live. And so there's just so many rich <laughs> passages in this. Hopefully I said that a little more graciously than I did at 9.30 before all the coffee kicked in and I was a little bit cranky. I'm just tired of like reading preachers and listening to preachers who are like, I don't want to read myself into the story. We're going to read ourselves right into God's story of redemption for our lives this morning. And so while this passage was written to the Israelites who are in a very tough spot, it's also gifted to us by God so that we can learn some things about his character and how he calls us to live when we end up in some tough spots too. Are you cool with that? Jeremiah chapter 32, before I get all excited, you guys are like, what is going on here? <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 32, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in the 10th year of Zedekiah. I'm just going to read a little bit and then we're going to unpack it. King of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. It's interesting that it notes just King uh, Zedekiah, who's the king of Judah, the Israelites, and Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of the Babylonians here. The army of the king of Babylon uh, was besieging Jerusalem. That's the hub of Judah. Jerusalem's like the center. It's, the, it's kind of like the main part, the, the huddle of God's people. The city, Jerusalem, had big walls, and um, they're kind of like the main area that the Babylonians were trying to capture and the main area where God's people were kind of gathered up and huddled up and trying to keep their, their land and win this war that um, was coming. Um, they're in this place, and it says there in verse 2, Jeremiah the prophet, he was a prophet from God who was 
given the task of sharing God's word with these people who had just been ignoring God for so long, walked away from God and had just made a, they were playing church, they're good at offering meaningless sacrifices, they just were following themselves and whatever whim they were on and it says this, it's, he was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. That's a nice way of saying the dude was in lockup or locked down. I don't know what we call it anymore. He was imprisoned in the court of his own king by his own people, the people he's trying to help. It says, now Zedekiah came to him and he says, why do you prophesy as you do? You say, I'm about to give this, that God says, I'm about to give this city into the hands of the king of Babylon and he will capture it. Uh, it goes on and gives some more instructions about Zedekiah and, and it ends with, if you fight against the Babylonians, you will not succeed. See, what Jeremiah had been saying is this attack and occupation is inevitable. What God is telling his people to do is to surrender to the Babylonians. This is happening. It's been a long time coming. There's no avoiding this storm. This isn't one of those troubled spaces you get to say, ask God for a get-out-of-jail-free card. This is a storm you're going to have to walk through, and this is how God is calling you to walk through it. Surrender and submit yourselves to the Babylonians, and God's going to do some stuff through this. I know you don't see it. I know it's crazy. I know it doesn't. It sounds counterintuitive, it's not something you want to hear, but this is what God's telling you to do. It's what he was saying, and it's why he was locked up. And Jeremiah continued in response to Zedekiah. He doesn't even address the message that he had been delivering. He gives him a new one. He says, the word of the Lord came to me. This is a message of hope. Um, Hanamel is going a relative of yours, is going to come and say to you, say to Jeremiah, buy my field at Anathoth because as the nearest relative, it's your right and your duty to buy it. Just as the Lord said, Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, buy my field. And I knew that this was the word of the Lord, this is Jeremiah speaking, so I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him the 17 shekels of silver I signed and sealed the deed and had it witnessed and weighed out the silver on the scales. And essentially, he goes on to explain how he bought this property officially the way that it was written in law for people to buy fields in that day with all the witnesses and all the paperwork and all the papyrus. And yeah, two copies of it. One's the original, and you tape another copy to the outside so you don't have to open the original because papyrus is papyrus. I don't know what papyrus is. I've never seen papyrus. There you go, dude. It's Egyptian paper. Way to rock it. It's good, man. Maybe one day you'll be up here and I'll be down there. So uh, he goes on and then he buys the property. He has this moment of buyer's remorse. You ever have buyer's remorse? You ever buy something and be like, I have buyer's remorse? I'm so good at impulse buying. I, I shouldn't be admitting this to you. Like, I've been working on it. I've been way better. There's a period in my life where I was so good at impulse buying, I could, like, impulse buy stuff for other people and let them just deal with the 
<laughs> buyer's remorse. I don't golf. I didn't really ever golf, but one time I had this great idea that I should buy golf clubs, and I convinced my other brother who never golfs, and he just went out and believed me and bought golf clubs too, and like we didn't golf, and he's like, why do we buy these golf clubs? And I'm like, I don't know. Like buyer's remorse settles right in. Like I've, I had, I've convinced my brother to buy a boat that we never use. Like I'm good at impulse buying, but I also know this, that after impulse buys always comes this buyer's remorse thing. This wasn't an impulse buy by Jeremiah. He was following God's direction, but yet he still has some buyer's remorse. So he starts this prayer with, ah, like a sigh prayer. You ever sigh prayer, God? You ever like, ah, I don't know, what's, what am I going to do with him? You know, like, ah, ah, God, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. Like, ah, this person, I'm really sick of them. Do I have to invite them over for Thanksgiving? Like, can I get a free pass on this one? And uh, he starts this prayer, ah, sovereign Lord, he goes through this beautiful prayer in the, in the middle of chapter 32, and he comes after this beautiful prayer admitting such incredible stuff about God, but he ends it in verse 25 with this like, uh-oh. Ah, and, and though the city will be given, this is Jeremiah's prayer to God, the end of it, into the hands of the Babylonians, you, sovereign Lord, say to me, buy the field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. Like they're about to sweep over and take this land from us, God, and you want me to buy a field? Buy a new field in this barren land, in this desolate place? Doesn't make much sense. God comes in and he says, I'm the Lord, the God of all mankind, is anything too hard for me? Some of you need to circle that verse or write that verse down. I am the Lord, your God. Is anything too hard for me? He goes on and he reminds Jeremiah of his promise that one day, you can read the rest of it. I don't have time to read it. You can read the rest of it in the chapter. That though the Babylonians would capture them it would take 500 years, a long time, but one day, God would return his people to this place. He would return them and he would restore them. He would build them up and this field would grow crops and this land would be plentiful and bountiful again that God would bring back what was lost. Is anything too hard for him? The whole book of Nehemiah tells that story, and it's an incredible story of God bringing them back and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. But for now, this was a new field. We like new fields when they're greener pasture kind of new fields. That's what we look for as the solution to our lives. Like, I want greener pastures. There are people that habitually search for greener pastures every time something gets difficult. They look for a new relationship. They look for an easy out. Every time things get a little bit troubling or they get in a difficult spot or life requires a little bit of pain or suffering or walking through some difficult stuff, they want to hit the eject button from the field they're in and jump to another field. People habitually do this, searching for greener grass. What, it's, what it says about them is that they just don't see grass very well because grass is grass and a field of grass over there is just as dirty 
It's the same soil. The animals do the same stuff in it as they do in the grass over here. The problem is the expectations of what a grass field can actually provide you in life. And maybe what you're really looking for is something deeper and more meaningful than just a fresh start. Though I do want to say that sometimes God will lead you to greener pastures. Psalm 23 talks about that. It's a beautiful psalm. You've probably heard it before. He, he leads me to green pastures and makes me lie down by still waters. I probably butchered that because I'm doing it from heart and I didn't plan on doing that right now. But you, you know, sometimes God leads you to a fresh start, to a new place, to a greener pasture, But most of the time, and this is maybe the part we don't like, most of the time, God's plan for us is to bring renewal to our hearts in the middle of whatever pasture we are stuck in right now. I know for the people who are like, I want to hit the eject button. I've been praying to God, God, I just need a new field. I just need a new man. I just need a new church. I just need a new job. I just need a new thing. Like that's the solution I have written for myself. Why can't you just pop out and give it to me? For, for those of us, when we get stuck in that kind of mindset, it's, it's difficult to realize that what God wants to do is actually more meaningful and deeper, and he does it right in the middle of our troubling spots. He wants to restore your heart and renew you and your soul. We like greener pastures, but most of the time God is promising to bring renewal to the fields that seem pretty barren. This field, it was... It was not a new field in a new neighborhood with a new group of people visiting for tea time. That's not what this new field was. This new field that God was telling Jeremiah to buy was scorched earth kind of new field. Was this is a really bad spot to buy a new field by human standpoints. I mean, what was going on in Jerusalem is their, their country was already invaded by the Babylonians. They were literally scaling the walls of Jerusalem as this was written, ready to tear it down. The city was in siege. People were panicking all over the place, selling off their stuff, gathering their silver, just trying to survive. The mindset of the people were like, oh no, it's all going down. The walls of my world are being torn apart. I don't know where we're gonna go. I don't know what we're gonna do. I don't know how we're going to survive. On top of that, the one person offering hope and a path forward, Jeremiah, was rejected by all of the people he was trying to help and love. Like, there he is. They're like, bad sermon, dude. Go to jail. (laughs) You ever sit here and think that? Bad sermon, dude. Let's just go to lunch. Maybe not jail. You would never do that. But um, the people he's trying to help, the people he cares about. He's bringing God's word. He's doing everything he's told to do. He's doing it right. And yet they're imprisoning him in the middle of this mess. Things couldn't get worse. This was a troubling, bad spot. I just want to take a second to say, man, like, have you been in a spot? Maybe not this spot. Maybe a spot like it, though a really difficult circumstance that hope seems to be slipping away from you in. 
a spot where you can't see tomorrow, you don't know how you're going to get there, or even if you want to get there. Maybe there have been times where you've looked at your circumstances and you're like, that's it, man. Like, this is hopeless. This isn't going to get better. I don't understand any of it. I feel like a prisoner in my own life. And the people I, I, I love, they don't even see it. They don't even appreciate it. And I'm just stuck here. And this is such a troubling spot. You know, it's really hard to hold on to hope and to walk in faith when you are in difficult circumstances. It's hard. But those difficult circumstances are also the place where your faith and your hope best serve you. Tough spots. Jeremiah was in a tough spot, surrounded, besieged, a mess, and hope was slipping. And hope is something really important that God designed you to have and calls you to. There's a story, there's this experiment. This experiment's a little harsh, especially if you love rats. If you're like a, a really an animal lover, you're probably not gonna like this story. I'm not talking about like, yeah, I love animals. I love buffalo chicken dip and some celery. Like that's, uh, not if you like. But, but I, I wanna share this because I think that the concept and what they discovered in this John Hopkins experiment by this guy named Curtis Richter is very important. In, at John Hopkins in the 1950s, Curtis Richter was, was doing an experiment to discover a psychological experiment about the effects of hope on life. And so he took a bunch of rats, he put them in this glass cylinder and put water in it, and he was timing them to see how long they would swim. What he discovered in the first batch of rats that he put in this, and don't judge me, man, I love rats. They're my favorite. If I, if I had a rat hat, I would wear a rat hat. I, they're just the cutest little things in the world. I can't believe he would do this. But listen to the point of the story. Like so, so what he found about these rats that swam around first is that the first group of rats, there's a bunch of them, a bunch of them just swam around the top, and some of them, a couple of them, swam down to the bottom looking for a way out. As they swam down to the bottom of the cylinder and discovered there was no way out, what he surmised is that they were realizing that they were stuck, that there was, there, this was a hopeless situation. Those rats expired. That's the friendly way of, well, never mind. And uh, within like two minutes, the rats that just swam around, Richter thought, maybe they had hope that the hands that placed them in the water would pull them out of the water because they had this little bit of hope, probably hope they couldn't even understand or recognize because they're, they're rats after all, they swam around for 15 minutes. This boggled his mind and he started to wonder if this hope really had a great impact on life and being stuck in very difficult circumstances. So he got more rats and he put new, this new batch of rats in this water and he watched them and waited for them till they got to the point of collapse about 15 minutes for those that were swimming around the top. He would reach in or have his lab mates, I don't know if that's what you call them, but that's what we're gonna call them, lab mates reach in, and as the rats, I know this is terrible, right? Like as the rats became exhausted, they would pick these rats up out of the water, dry them off, let them rest for a minute or two, catch their breath, and then they would put them back in the water. Do you know that those rats 
who had experienced hope swam for 60 hours because of the effect hope had on their life. You see, hope is such a powerful and important thing. And when it's slipping away from us in the middle of difficult circumstances, you, you don't give up. you got to hold on to it. God is a God who in little ways and big ways has not only designed you for hope, he is calling you to hope in him, to hope again in him. Throughout scripture, in the middle of difficult times, difficult messages, times where judgment was imminent, times where things were good, God is constantly reminding his people, Old Testament, New Testament, to place their hope in him. And hope in him doesn't disappoint. Maybe you feel like hope's slipping from you. You don't know if you can hang on or you don't know if you even want to hang on anymore. Can I just like, say, buy a field and hope in God. In Isaiah chapter 40, it says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, go birds. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint, couldn't help it. Romans 10 and verse 11, this is the Amplified Version. I just love the way the Amplified Version uh, interpreted this. And this is like a paraphrase. The Amplified Version of the Bible just takes it and kind of like looks at a bunch of different translations of the Greek that it was written in and, and kind of puts a paraphrased combination of these translations in. And it says this, whoever believes in him, in Romans 10, 11, adheres to, trusts, relies on him, will not be disappointed. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for, and it's the assurance about what we do not see. Hebrews 11.1, 1, what God was saying to Jeremiah, a message to God's people is, you can trust me, even when it's all falling apart, as the walls of your life are falling down, when you don't know what tomorrow looks like, and you don't know if you even want to see tomorrow, when you're about to give up and embrace desperation, instead, embrace hope in me. You can trust me. You can rely on me. Make a statement, buy a field, because one day, you won't be able to restore yourself you won't be able to bring it back yourself, but one day you will see the restoration I have done in you. And it wasn't just about restoration in their land. It was about restoration in their hearts and in their souls. Hope. I don't have a lot of practical stuff for you today, but I wish you would just buy a field in whatever circumstance you are in. Buying a field, it's making a statement of faith. Not just with your words, but with your actions. It's a spiritual statement, and it's a very practical statement. It's a declaration that I will trust God he will be my hope. And even though I don't see 
how he will restore, I will follow him. You can hope in his redemptive plan for your life. That the work on the cross he did to offer you forgiveness from your sins was complete. That that empty tomb is this beautiful gift that you can hope in, that seals your hope. That death is not the end of your story. That suffering and pain is not the end of your story. That he will give you new life and a new heart and life eternal. You can hope in his redemptive plan for you. You can hope in his promises. Some of which, there's so many of them, are that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That he is working in the, all things for the good of those who love him. That though mothers may forget their children, God will never forget you. That one's in Isaiah. That you are more than a conqueror through him. That nothing can separate you from his love. There's a lot of promises in this. I wish you would get to know the promises of God for you. You can trust and place your hope in his redemption. You can place your hope in his promises. And you can place your hope in his plan. It's the verse on most coffee cups. I think there's more coffee cups with this verse on it than any other verse. It's also the verse most some preachers will want to get all excited about and say, that's not a promise for us. But it is because it's God's character. And his character plays out in how he treats his children. And he gives it to Israel, but he also gifted it to us through Scripture. Jeremiah 29, 11. He knows the plans he has for you. He knows the plans he has for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you to give you a future and a hope. You can trust in his redemption. You can place your hope in his promises. You can place your hope in his plan. And that kind of hope will not disappoint. So buy a field. I don't know what circumstances you're in, what re your relationships look like, what your job, what your purpose, what your inner battles look like. Don't, I don't know what they look like, and so it's really hard for me to figure out what buying a field looks like for you, but I came up with like a practical faith statement that I need to make over and over and over again when I find myself in troubled spots and hope seems to be slipping away. This is a statement I wrote for me. You can steal it if you want. You can write your own statement of faith that you, that you will walk by in the middle of trouble. You can write your own, this is how I'm gonna buy my field statement. This is mine. I will hope in Jesus. I know he loves me. And is working for my good in my life, and I trust him. I trust his promises, I trust his plan, I trust his character, I trust his cross, I trust his empty tomb. 
I will be who he wants me to be where I am right now, even if the steps he asks me to take don't make sense to me. I don't see my future, but I know he does, and I trust him with it. Buy a field. Make a statement of faith that you intend to live by in the middle of whatever troubling spots you find yourself in. Is anything too hard for God? In 33, the next chapter, he gets another word. He's still in jail, by the way. God didn't spring him because he bought a field. He still had to walk through some difficult stuff, and I don't know why, but God saw fit to give Jeremiah another lesson in chapter 33, and it says, the word of the Lord that came to him a second time, and this is what the Lord says, he who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name, call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that even in the midst of breaking down relationships and trouble with people we care about, in the midst of circumstances that are difficult, no matter what we find ourselves in, that we can hope in you. You have designed us for hope, and you have called us to a hope that does not disappoint, a hope that will always see us through, a hope in you. I pray that maybe maybe we've never done this. I pray somebody would place their hope in your redemptive plan for them, that you want to give them a new heart, a new life, that you want to forgive their sins and erase their debt and absolve their guilt and that you took that in your flesh on the cross and paid for that with your blood offering us grace and need to hope in the empty tomb that death is not the end of our story, that we have life through Christ both here and eternally. Maybe it's time we trust in your promises a little bit more and get to know them or trust in your plan for us. Whatever we find ourselves in, I pray that we would keep coming back to a statement of faith even when life is difficult and we don't know what our future looks like. A statement of faith that says, we trust you. You love us. We'll follow you. We're so thankful that Jeremiah bought that field. That field was overrun, (laughs) scorched earth by the Babylonians, but that one day in your time you restored it and it became fruitful and beautiful again. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.